Hello everyone and thank you for joining me at our first English episode by Arab 48. For those of you who don't know, Arab 48 is an independent news website located in Haifa. In this episode, we want to focus at the question of who are the Palestinian citizens of Israel. And to do so, today I am joined by Professor Amal Jamal, political scientist who teaches at Tel Aviv University. Professor Amal Jamal has wrote many books. His work focuses on state structure, civil society, media consumption, and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. In this episode, we want to focus on the Palestinian citizens of Israel from both historical perspective to their political role in both Palestinian and Israeli politics. But in order to do so, I want us to start from 1948, the Palestinian Nakba. The majority of the Palestinians who lived in the borders of 1948 have become refugees in the West Bank and in the Arab world. Those who remain eventually turn citizens. Where do you take us from there? In order to explicate this point, we have to clarify that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the partition plans spoke about, you know, two states, one Palestinian, one Arab, one, one Jewish. As a result of uh, the rejection made by the Palestinians, uh, not to uh, accept the division of their homeland into uh, two states. A war erupted between the, the two sides. Um, the Arab states in, 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 you know, engage in this war. As a result, the Israeli army um, actually enlarged the areas in which the Jewish state were, was, was supposed to uh, estab- be established. During the war, the Israeli army followed policy of uh, evacuating, expelling, deporting, moving Arab inhabitants that were supposed to be inside the Jewish state from these areas and move them outside the borders that became under the control of the Israeli army. As a result of the war, around uh, around 750,000 Palestinians became refugees living outside the borders of the state of Israel, what, what became the borders of the state of Israel. Here I must mention, in the war of 1948, the Zionist organization had a plan called Plan Dalid, Plan D, which pretty much focused on expelling and destroying the Palestinian villages. Uh, in the archives, there is a debate, but we're talking between 370 to 400 villages that were destroyed and the Palestinians there were expelled from their homes. At the same time, uh, we speak about 175,000 almost Palestinians who remained within borders of the state of Israel as recognized in the armistic ceasefire agreement between the Israeli army and the Arab armies. Um, most of them in the Galilee, part of them in the uh, Naqab, in the Negev area, and after the agreement with the Jordan in 1949, uh, uh, another around 30,000 uh, Palestinians became part of Israel in exchange of land with the Jordanian army. So the, the, the entire population of the Palestinians who remained inside the state of Israel are around 175,000. Not all of them became citizens Im- immediately because in November 1948, Israel ran a census trying to document who are the Arabs who remained in the Jewish state. And not all Palestinians trusted the state. And therefore, part of them were not registered as part of uh, of the state. 
This is one thing. And the Palestinians who uh, were exchanged with Jordan in the Triangle area, in the eastern part uh, of the center of the country, uh, were not part of the census. So many uh, inhabitants, Palestinian inhabitants of the land, became actually what is called in the Israeli legal system present absentees, which means they were not fully uh, recognized as citizens and uh, have lost all their belongings, uh, their land, their houses, and so on, as a result of the Israeli uh, new Israeli law. Um, therefore, when we speak about the Palestinians inside Israel, we, at least from 1948 until 1980, we have to differentiate between uh, uh, citizens who became citizens of the state and inhabitants, Arab inhabitants, Palestinian inhabitants, who are fully Palestinians, who were born in the land, but have not received the Israeli citizenship as a result of what I spoke about before. They were not you know, registered in the census or became part of the state after the armistice ceasefire with Jordan. That's why we differentiate between you know, people who remained in their homes, indigenous inhabitants of their own villages, and we speak about internal refugees. So when we speak about you know, Palestinian refugees, we had to differentiate between refugees who were ex completely expelled outside of Israel and refugees who remained inside Israel but not in their own uh, homes or places of habitation. Out of the 175,000, almost 25% became refugees in their own homeland. Uh, and only in uh, 1980, when the Israeli citizenship law was uh, uh, changed, amended, Part of them became citizens. Uh, so, uh, yeah, these are the Palestinians inside Israel. This is the community. Uh, amounts now uh, up to, uh, so we're talking about, you know, a, a large community, uh, around 25% of the Israeli, but without East Jerusalem. East Jerusalem has around, uh, around 350,000 uh, uh, Jerusalemites who are Palestinians, but not Israeli citizens. They're inhabitants of the state as a result of the annexation of the city after the 1967 war, uh, they were annexed to Israel but were not given citizenship. They refused to become Israeli citizens, uh, and therefore they are permanent residents of the state. And we differentiate between them and the Palestinians who remained inside Israel uh, after 1948. So when we speak about Arab citizens of the state of Israel, we're talking about 1.65 million uh, Palestinians. Professor Amal, I want us to focus more on the legal status of the Palestinian citizens today. Not many know, but they do enjoy individual rights, but don't enjoy collective rights. If you can elaborate on this and the tension between having individual rights without collective rights. Well, legally, from our point of view, we're talking about, as I said, 1.65 million Palestinians who have the Israeli citizenship. So based on the Israeli law, they're supposed to be equal citizens in, in, the state, in the state of Israel. But as we know, Israel is defined as a Jewish state. And the law of return is a founding law inside Israel. So Israel has been receiving you know, many Jewish immigrants, a basic right that the Palestinians inside Israel don't have. Israel did not allow the Palestinian refugees to return to their homes after 1948. So the Palestinians inside Israel were completely disconnected from their families and from their um, 
relatives who became refugees in the West Bank or Gaza or Lebanon or Syria or Egypt and so on. When we look at the Israeli legal system, the Palestinians inside Israel legally were recognized as the state based on individual rights. Uh, the only community recognized as such inside Israel uh, on the national level is uh, the Jewish community. The Arab community were recognized only as religious communities based on the millet system that were was established by the Ottomans during the Ottoman period. The British adopted this millet system and recognized the different communities, including the Jewish community, by the way, from 1920, uh, 1922. Uh, and, uh, you know, th that's why Israel actually recognized the religious communities inside the Arab, in, inside the Arab uh, population, but did not recognize them as a national minority inside Israel as if they have no national affiliation. And even though throughout this conversation, we choose to describe the Palestinians, citizens of Israel as Palestinians, but living here, we both know that the state refuses to acknowledge them as a national minority or as a national group, as Palestinians. What would you say is the motive behind this? Well, formally, Israel defined them as Israeli Arabs. Uh, and we know that the state invested a lot of energy and efforts uh, through the educational system, through other disciplinary uh, organizations inside the state in order to uh, constitute a, a new um, uh, political consciousness uh, under the banner of Israeli Arabs. And therefore, it differentiated between different, uh, you know, political uh, uh, trends within the community, legitimizing those who accepted actually the definition as uh, Israeli Arabs and criticizing or even uh, uh, persecuting those who refused to accept their um, uh, you know, new identity. But, you know, when we look at this process, we see that um, uh, uh, along the period of 75 years, um, the Israeli policy of de-Palestinianization of the Palestinians has not succeeded. So there is a large majority within them that recognize themselves as Palestinians. And of course, um, they couldn't have disconnected them uh, themselves from their uh, Palestinian past. First of all, because, you know, only yesterday, 1948, they were they were, you know, separated from uh, the rest of the Palestinians. They have relatives in the occupied territories. They have relatives in Lebanon, in the refugee camps. They have relatives in Gaza, in Egypt, in Syria, and so on and so on. So actually from their social, you know, familial uh, composition, they are part and parcel from the Palestinian people. The fact that they became Israeli citizens is not, based on their will. It was enforced on them as a result of the 1948 war and the fact that Israel was established in areas in which they live and they remain within the state of Israel. So they become citizens of the state of Israel. Now, um, it, you know, what I'm saying is, is that uh, whereas the Israeli state tried to de them and make them into Israeli Arabs, uh, 
at the same time, simultaneously, the Israeli state discriminated against them based on their Palestinian identity. So, actually, the state has a has a you know a, a, a kind of contradictory policy towards them. On the one hand, they wanted them to become Israeli Arabs, which means accepting their you know uh, citizenship, their political new political identity. But at the same time. The Israeli state established a military rule, you know, uh, uh, martial law in Arab areas between 1948 and 1966 and uh, established, you know, uh, um, a policy that discriminated against them uh, when it comes to allocation of resources, when it comes to housing, zoning, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, allocation of, uh, of material resources, uh, development, uh, education, and so on based on their Palestinian identity. So they couldn't have taken the uh, uh, Israeli policy seriously because Israel hinted to them all the time that they are treated actually as Palestinians, although the state wanted them to become Israeli citizens. And I think this sophisticated policy came as a strategy in order always to delegitimize them as uh, uh, full, fully and equal citizens. Uh, if if they are discriminated against as Palestinians, so they become aware of their you know background and Palestinian identity, and they you know uh, uh, want to express their identity culturally, linguistically. They want to practice you know normal relations with their relatives in the refugee camps and so on and so on. But uh, this was utilized by the state in order to frame them as uh, internal security danger and thereby justify its discriminatory policy against them. So actually, the state uh, created a, a control system in which it, it, it built a, a contradictory uh, policy that the end result of was justifying its discrimination against this population while limiting their rights into individual rights that should be integrated and should be should prove their loyalty the state to the state uh, on the one hand on the other hand uh, their discrimination was based on a collective identity which is uh, the, the Palestinian background so the state uh, negatively recognized them as Palestinians through its discrimination uh, while positively recognize them as individuals only that should be integrated into you know the election system into the economy and so on and so on so this contradiction has created among them the sense that uh, you know the default identity for them is actually the Palestinian identity although not all of them uh, dare to recognize it or dare to express it uh, uh, publicly Professor, you mentioned many important things in this comment. So first of all, if you want to read more on the martial law that was inflicted on the Palestinian citizens of Israel between 1948 and until 1966, I will add a paper elaborating more on this uh, under the title Israel Military Rule Over Its Palestinian Citizens by Yair Ba'aumel and was edited by Professor Nadim Ruhana. Now a short disclaimer, Professor Amal Jamal was my professor during my master's degree and I remember a sentence that you mentioned in one of your classes which still resonates with me till this day and I think it's a very important 
uh, identification of a problem where you mentioned that all Palestinian citizens of Israel, regardless how they identify themselves, they feel that they are being discriminated against by the state. Now, for those who don't know, the Palestinians occupy different professions, whether they're governmental profession or not. But this identification tells a structural problem. Why do you think that is so? Especially when you can tell that there is different treatment to different Palestinian citizens of Israel. How do you explain this? Well, uh, you know, the Israeli state is a very sophisticated state when it comes to identity issues. And, uh, you know, whereas um, it utilized the assimilation and melting pot policy towards the uh, the, the Jewish identity in order to establish, you know, the, the modern Jewish identity uh, that became Israeli identity, actually, <coughs> later on. Uh, uh, at the same time, it, it utilized uh, an identity policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Palestinians that was differential. Uh, as I said before, they, they are all, you know, uh, in order to uh, enable itself to control this minor, minor, you know, big community, it utilized uh, divide-and-conquer policy. So different communities were, dif were dif discriminated against differently. The Israeli state was always interested in convincing part of the Arab community to join the state and become you know, integral part of the Israeli uh, society in order to prove that uh, you know, Israel, despite... Uh, despite itself being a Jewish state, still, uh, you know, treats its uh, all its citizens fairly and e and equally, and uh, that's why it established, uh, you know, a rights regime that is differentiated. So, uh, you know, uh, first of all, as I said before, the religious communities were recognized as such which means the Israeli state differentiated between Jews, Christians, and Muslims, and uh, established institutions to give service, religious services, to these communities separately. It, it was called by one of, co one of our colleagues, uh, Michael Kariani from the Hebrew University, uh, the multicultural entrapment. It's an entrapment in the sense that people were caught within their communities, religious communities, although part of them are not religious and secular. So this is one on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, based on you know the differential identity regime, uh, different communities were integrated in the state differently. So, for instance, we see that the Jews, for instance, were were uh, drafted in the uh, you know compulsory military service uh, already in back in 1956, uh, in order to show that you know based on a on a republican uh, political formula that those who contribute to the security of the state are treated better than others, uh, and this was uh, you know already established in the. Uh, Israeli Declaration of Independence because already in the Declaration of Independence the Israeli sovereign calls upon the Arabs to, who remain inside the country to join the, in building the state based on certain conditions and they will be treated equally you know, uh, uh, on all levels. This was the promise given by the Declaration of Independence but this conditional 
uh, invitation to join the Israeli community uh, uh, contained actually uh, a differentiation that we have to take into consideration. That, that first of all, h- how how can you expect those who were devastated as a community as a result of the establishment of the state of Israel to join the Jewish community to build the Jewish state? This is one thing, uh, and the second thing is, is that uh, uh, you know the state didn't want to recognize them, recognize them as as part of the Palestinian people, so they had to be de-Palestinianized, and uh, they had to you know the, the Israeli state had to establish uh, uh, a disciplinary system uh, through which uh, different communities. Uh, were positioned uh, on different distance from the, from loyalty to the state. Uh, the Jews were, you know, brought close to the Israeli citizenship through the army service. Uh, the Christian community was conceived as peaceful uh, and was conceived as non-Arabs, and the Arabs became the Muslims. Mm. So the, the state actually identified between being Arab and being Muslim. And thereby differentiated between the communities, splitting the community uh, into different communal uh, minorities. And therefore, the, the official language in Israel does not speak about the Arab minority. It speaks about minorities. Which minorities? You know, these minorities that the, the state established itself. So based on the Israeli strategy, different communities were discriminated against differently in order to allow for the control system to work, and in order not to enable uh, the, the, these communities to uh, come together based on discrimination. Even discrimination has to be differentiated in order not to allow the communities to come together based on their discrimination. Because some are discriminated more than others. Of course, that's the point, that the different communities were, dif- were, were discriminated against differently, so they have no common ground to come together and become at least a community based on this discrimination. So this relative deprivation uh, is very important in the Israeli you know, uh, system, and thereby it, it established what is called in the literature uh, ethnic, ethnic competition. You know, different communities wanted to compete each other in order to, you know, win... Uh, uh, the 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 uh, as if to, the to climb, to climb the, the ladder of hierarchy. Exactly, uh, they wanted to have more rights, and therefore, you know, different communities became uh, docile to the Israeli system, uh, and thereby, you know, the state differentiated between between good Arabs and and uh, and bad Arabs. Uh, in, in one of my uh, articles, I cite, you know, the advisor for. Uh, uh, the Prime Minister for uh, Arab Affairs, who said, you know, when discussing the Israeli strategy towards the, the Palestinian community inside Israel, he said, in, in our policy, we don't expect them to become Zionists. It's enough that they remain quiet Arabs. Uh, which means, you know, uh, the state actually wanted them to remain uh, uh, quiet uh, and accept the structure of power established, uh, which means, uh, you know, uh, Jewish supremacy uh, and Arab submission. Uh, this structured citizenship um, has 
uh, has been actually behind what became the nation state law in 2018. Uh, when we look at you know the you know the, the history of Israeli citizenship, although we thought that the Israel will materialize on the promise made in the Declaration of Independence, actually in uh, in reality uh, we see that. Uh, you know, in, in the 19, late 1980s, with the breakdown of the peace process with the Palestinians, we see a radicalization process taking place in Israel, in which Israel actually, the Israeli society retreated back on promises made in the past, and uh, the, the, the um, you know, the making of the nation-state law uh, in 2018 uh, is the culmination of this process of actually closing the horizon of equality inside Israel. I wrote about this uh, several times, that whereas the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, with all critique towards it, made a promise of equality and left the horizon open for an equal Israeli citizenship, at least on the individual level, um, you know, something reiterated many times by the uh, Israeli High Court, especially by Aaron Barak, uh, the former president of the of the High Court, actually, the state changed its mind, uh, you know, in the in the you know with the turn of the millennium, and uh, you know which brought to closing this horizon of equality, because the Palestinians, you know, accusing the Palestinians that they are not satisfied with, uh, you know, equal individual citizenship, sticking to their Palestinian identity and demanding recognition as a national minority uh, as expressed in the future vision documents published by this community in 2006-2007 and therefore the, the, you know, the leaders of the state saw that their policy failed to differentiate between collective rights and individual rights. They failed because uh, you know, the, the Palestinians uh, in, inside the state of Israel claimed that how come you know the Jewish community has individual and collective rights based on their national identity, and we are discriminated against based on national identity, and we have no collective rights? So they started demanding collective rights beyond their individual rights, claiming that we are we cannot achieve our individual rights because we are discriminated against based on our collective identity. And our collective, without collective rights, we can never become equal citizens within the state of Israel. And therefore, the state of Israel has to recognize us as individuals, right? But also as collective, because this contradiction between individual rights and collective rights are leading to, uh, 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 you know, a right, uh, uh, a regime of rights that does not allow us to become equal citizens within the state of Israel. Professor, what I understand from you is up until the Second Intifada, there was some sort of hope that Israel might change and might give the Palestinian citizens of Israel equal rights as individuals. But then the Second Intifada erupts. The Israeli society goes more to the right. Uh, I think it's important to mention that 13 Palestinian citizens of Israel were shot to death by the Israeli military during the Second Intifada. Palestinian intellectuals and public figures, citizens of Israel, write the future vision papers that claim that in order to 
enjoy uh, living in a true democratic state and enjoy equal rights, both an individual level and a communal level, Israel might turn into a state for all its citizens. I want you to elaborate more on this and how prominent this idea of turning the state of Israel from a Jewish state to a state for all its citizens. Well, let, let, let me go back to uh, actually uh, after 1948. Yeah, I think uh, the, the Arab Palestinians who joined the political system already then and wanted to join the political system uh, uh, at the time thought, sorry, that the, the, the state of Israel, despite being defined as Jewish state, should be for all its citizens. And some of them thought that there shouldn't be a contradiction between Israel being a Jewish state and Israel being a state of all its citizens because it's a democracy. And a democracy, the sovereign is the people. You know, the, the people who, are, who live in the state. That, that's, that was the, the naive you know, conception of the Arab politicians at the time. They, become, they became uh, frustrated as a result of the policy of the state because the state proved uh, for them that it, it's not actually the formula that it wants to uh, promote. That Israel cannot be Jewish and fully democratic in the you know, democratic sense, in the real democratic, in the substantial democratic sense, and that the Israeli democracy is limited to a procedural uh, dimension uh, of majoritarian rule, and since the Jewish majority is, you know, a stable majority uh, inside the state of Israel, so any uh, rule of the majority is democratic, but this is not substantial. Uh, that's what you know. Arab intellectuals already then claimed. Uh, the issue is that, you know, when we look at the 1970s, 80s, even 90s, the economic and political liberalization of the state of Israel created uh, some expectation among Arab intellectuals that, um, okay, with the peace process between Israel and, uh, uh, and Egypt, uh, with Israel being established state and strong you know, regional power, uh, that it, it's not any more threatened, existentially at least, that Israel can allow itself to become real democratic uh, in the in the substantial sense, and uh, when we look at the you know high Israel, Israeli High Court, we see that uh, part of its uh, rulings have made this promise possible, that that Israel, you know, is becoming a mature state that can actually reconcile between its being Jewish. Uh, on the one hand and democratic on the other hand uh, and that the sovereignty belongs to the citizens of the state um, despite the you know the unique relationship between the state of Israel and the diaspora Jewish community still the sovereignty should be in, in, in you know in the hands of the uh, Israeli uh, citizenry um, I think this uh, kind this trend changed as a result of the second intifada in 2000. This trend became uh, an illusionment, uh, you know, among the liberal 
you know, within a, 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 you know, a Jewish minority of liberals who believe that Israel could become, uh, you know, citizen, become a state of all its citizens without contradicting its Jewish identity. But as a result of changes within uh, you know, the Jewish community, the Jewish majority, beginning with the rise of the Likud to power in 1977, and later on, uh, the nationalizing process taking place in the Jewish community and the religiousization process taking place, that the Jewish community became more and more religious and more conservative. And as a result, this you know, option of reconciling the Jewish identity with equal citizenship became a challenge. And we start hearing, you know, political leaders such as Benjamin Netanyahu, who was the prime minister for a long time, already uh, in the 1990s, looking at, you know, at the Palestinians inside Israel, or the claim, at, at least, for collective rights as danger, as endangering the Jewish identity of the state. So, uh, as I said it before, whereas the Arab states and the Palestinians uh, outside the state of Israel were conceived as enemies of the Israeli state, the Palestinians inside Israel became conceived as enemies of the Jewish state. Mm. They cannot enable the state to materialize its own Jewish identity because they claim, you know, uh, to be, to have the right to be equal citizens. A structural and, threat. And, yes, from within the state. And with the, you know, with the second intifada uh, and breakdown of the Oslo process and the fact that Palestinians inside Israel uh, joined their uh, brothers in the occupied territories and demonstrated against the, you know, the breakdown of the Oslo process, um, they became more and more conceived and framed as a, as a security threat. Their demand for collective rights as a, as a national minority uh, was targeted as something endangering the identity of the state, the security of the state, and therefore, uh, you know, when, when uh, Palestinian intellectuals inside Israel formulated the future vision documents in 2006-2007 and claimed that Israel cannot be democratic and Jewish at the same time, and they and it should become, uh, you know, state of, a state of all its if it wants to be democratic state. Uh, then you know the majority within the state, the Jewish majority, be began began reformulating this formula of Jewish and democratic, and a, a growing majority within the Jewish community wanted to establish a hierarchy between being Jewish and democratic. If democracy contradicts contradicts the the, uh, the Jewish identity of the state then many Jewish uh, citizens, citizens favored Israel being Jewish rather than democratic, if there is a contradiction. And, and therefore, uh, we see many people uh, and many political parties in the parliament promoting laws that delegitimize the claim of the Arab community for equal rights, uh, beginning... Uh, already in the late, you know, the late 1990s, but in the, you know, after the beginning of the millennium, and after the 2006-2000 documents, we see uh, a clear process of uh, legislation 
trying to uh, limit the maneuvering spaces given to uh, Arab citizenship inside Israel and delegitimizing any uh, political party, Arab political party, that does not recognize Israel as Jewish state. In 2002, you know, th this began 19... 1985, I cannot elaborate too much on it, uh, as a result of, uh, you know, Kahanism, which is a, a fascist party at the time, um, that uh, 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 the, the Knesset law, the Knesset basic law was amended, and uh, political parties that contradict Israel as, the, uh, as a democratic state or a Jewish state were not allowed to run uh, into elections. Uh, but the election laws were re-amended in 2002 in order to uh, uh, put new limits on Arab parties who actually you know, wanted to uh, turn Israel into uh, a state of all its citizens, uh, claiming that to be democracy, the state has to be, to be true democracy, the state has to be a state of all its citizens. And uh, since Israel claims to be democratic, then, you know, there shouldn't be a contradiction between Israel as Jewish state and a democratic state. Uh, I think this culminated into the, you know, the, the uh, nation state law uh, or the, uh, you know, Israel as a nation uh, uh, state of the Jewish people. Which, mean, which means actually that Israel became defined constitutionally as the state of the Jewish people rather than the state of all its citizens. And the state itself created a, a contradiction between being you know, a, a, state, a Jewish state, uh, uh, meaning a state of all Jews, including those who do not live inside Israel, and uh, uh, you know, state of all its citizens, including the Arabs. This is the situation in which we find ourselves today, meaning Israel def constitutionally finds itself. You know, the constitutional identity of the state is a Jewish state, state of all. You know, uh, the nation state of all, uh, of Jews, but Jews do not live only in Israel. So Israel belongs to all Jews, but does not belong to. Non-Jews who live inside the state. This, of course, is an ongoing debate that has to be, you know, uh, that has to continue being debated uh, because uh, um, when we look at the practical meaning of, of this constitutional, constitutional identity, we see that the state views it as a, a justification to discriminate against those who do not belong to the Jewish people for being Jewish state uh, and therefore does not take its own citizenship seriously. The Israeli citizenship, which many Palestinians want to take seriously and become equal citizens, are not taken seriously by the state itself. I want to be an equal citizen. Many Palestinians inside Israel want to be, you know, become equal citizens, substantially equal citizens. And for that to, to happen, the state has to prove that it doesn't discriminate against them based on their national identity. Uh, the state has to be able to, you know, uh, contain all its citizens on equal basis. But since the state views its identity in exclusive term as only Jewish, so you know the, the Arab Palestinians cannot become equal 
within the same constitutional system. And that's why, you know, the constitutional debate in Israel is an ongoing debate uh, for the future to come. Professor, we're recording this episode at a time where Israel is being prosecuted by the International High Court over claims of genocide against the Palestinian people in Gaza. And I want you to elaborate more on how do you see the Palestinian citizens of Israel during times of crisis, especially these days where we have seen also prosecutions against Palestinian citizens of Israel who showed some sort of empathy with their relatives or Palestinians in general in the occupied territories, especially in Gaza. Well, I think, uh, you know, we are uh, in a tragic war, of course. I think if I, if I were to sum up the behavior of the Palestinians in Israel, they have proven to be the most responsible minority that you can ever imagine in a such a contradictory reality. They have proven to be responsible in the sense that they, on the one hand, did not uh, feel comfortable with what happened on October 7th uh, and the invasion made against uh, you know, uh, Israel and the um, violation of basic human rights against Jews living in the southern part of Israel. Um, despite the fact that they identify with the Palestinian identity and the aspiration for liberation and statehood, still, I, I, most of them did not feel comfortable that their, you know, companions, companion citizens are being attacked in this way and uh, their, you know, rights are being uh, completely violated. Um, uh, on the other hand, they they uh, know that uh, you know uh, the conflict um, is an ongoing conflict uh, 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 in which they uh, would love you know uh, uh, a peaceful solution. Uh, uh, th that, uh, uh, you know, Israel makes its mind whether it's want two-state solution or one-state solution. Uh, and no, no matter what happened, they understand that they will remain citizens of the state of Israel. And they want good relations with the state of Israel. So they have proven uh, since October 7, their actually loyalty to the Israeli law, despite the, the fact that the law discriminates against them. They wanted to prove to the Jewish community that they are here to stay and they want to integrate and live together peacefully with the Jewish community, with the Jewish majority. And they agonized actually part of what's happening vis-a-vis -vis Jews, but also vis-a-vis -vis Palestinians. And therefore, uh, they, uh, the majority of them uh, actually did not take a clear step towards the, what's going on. They did not know how to express their feelings of frustration as a result of what happened. Um, they did not accuse neither of the sides uh, immediately, uh, despite the fact that their sentiments are clear. Uh, they are Palestinians. They know that their Palestinian people has been living under occupation for you know decades, and they are suppressed under uh, the Israeli uh, occupation and that the Israeli right-wing government has been leading into you know, a clash with the Palestinians uh, as a result of its policies. Still, they did not march the streets. They did not break out into the streets. 
they did not want actually to put themselves in a situation that the state could view them as real enemies of the state. Uh, but, but do you at, think at the same time, at the same time, just one more sentence. At the same time, there are parts of this community that were frustrated to an extent that they wanted to express themselves against what's happening. Not necessarily identifying with Hamas or actually uh, uh, accepting what has been done, uh, what has been conducted by Hamas, but expressing their frustration. These voices were suppressed. And I think um, this is, again, a proof that the Israeli state does not trust its own citizens to behave in a responsible way. The suppression against freedom of expression of the Palestinians inside Israel, I think, is a measure that the Israeli state uh, has proven through which that it doesn't take their citizenship seriously. And, uh, you know, because the leadership of this community has said it clearly since 1948 that it will practice its political rights based on legality, based on the, on, 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 uh, on the law. And... Uh, that since Israel is, is claims to be a democratic state, they will practice their political power in order to protest against you know, policies that they don't like, discrimination or occupation. And therefore, the suppression of the voices, in my view, is a violation of the Israeli you know, democratic procedure uh, that may cost us you know, misunderstanding in the future. At the same time, I could say that this community have shown maturity that it understood that the state is in a situation that was not never expected to happen that nobody have imagined that such a, an attack could take place and therefore um, they did not want to engage and protest uh, uh, you know the war uh, you know, thinking that this might be translated immediately by right-wing uh, uh, parties as identifying with Hamas, which is which could lead to a serious clash. Now, I'm saying this because we know from you know the the discourse, political discourse of certain uh, ministers inside the government. Uh, very right-wing, conservative, nationalist uh, ministers who actually warned the Arab community from taking steps that could, you know, identify them by, you know, by these ministers as fifth column. And uh, therefore, the, the leadership of this community understood that any protest could be utilized and exploited by the right-wing parties in order to, to suppress uh, this community and justify certain deportation policies that were in the back of the mind of these radical ministers. So I think, you know, part of them showed a lot of tolerance toward suppressing their voices and limiting their uh, uh, freedom of expression, not because they agree to the principle, but also, but only in order to show that they fully understand what this radical government wants to them to do and where it wants uh, 
to lead Arab Jewish relations inside Israel. And for that purpose, they uh, 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 were willing to tolerate uh, this suppression and not clash with the police as happened back in May 2021, uh, which was fully exploited by these radical wing parties in order to delegitimize the Arab voice. So I think this is the situation. It's a very complex situation. It shows that the Palestinians inside Israel divide their sentiments between, you know, their uh, political rea daily reality and their Palestinian identity. And they don't want to choose. And they don't see the reality black and white. And they want to lead uh, into, uh, an, an, uh, into a reality in which they can bridge between their Palestinian identity and Israeli reality. So last question, and we'll summarize with this. Um, even though I think this question on its own needs its own episode. Um, but the political representation in the Israeli Knesset. As you've mentioned, since the early 50s, there has been representation of Arab uh, parties, some more organic and authentic, others less. Uh, but generally speaking, we know that they're, they're extremely diverse. We have the communists, the Muslim party, the nationalists, but they do agree. They did agree on a general sense that they will take part in the Israeli Knesset. They will be elected, but they won't be part of any coalition as long as there is the occupation is happening in the West Bank and in Gaza and the Gaza Strip. Something very important happened in 2021, 2022, with this new Israeli government led by Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid. And the Muslim uh, movement, out of all, decides to join this coalition. How do you understand this? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult question, but how do you understand this game changer done by the Muslim movement, especially to someone who's from outside, who sees that, well, in Israel, a Muslim movement could be part of the coalition? Yeah, actually, it, it's a... We, we cannot go into the history of, of uh, Palestinian Arab representation in the Israeli parliament. As you said, there are three main trends uh, inside the community, the, the nationalists, the, the communists, and the, uh, and the Islamic movement. The nationalists and the, and the Islamic movement joined the Israeli parliament only in 1996. Actually, we have to be clear about this. Since it's, uh, um, you know... Uh, integration in, in the Israeli parliament, the Islamic movement has sought um, a, a different, uh, uh, I would say, path. And it wanted to prove that being Muslim and being, uh, you know, Palestinian Muslim does not mean that you are disloyal to the state. From the beginning, uh, when, when you look at the political discourse, you see that they have uh, made clear that actually joining the Israeli parliament, accepting the framework of a Muslim minority within a non-Muslim state. Like, you know, uh, the, the Muslims in, in the UK, or the Muslims in, the, in France, or the Muslims in Germany, and so on and so on. They have given up on something basic made by the nationalists and the communists, that they are, that they are you know, part of the Palestinian people, and only uh, when uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is resolved that they can become full 
partners in the Israeli political system. And they are, you know, they can cannot join the government because it's a parliamentarian system and there is what is called ministerial responsibility, which means uh, even if you are not a minister, if you are part of the coalition, you are responsible for the you know, decisions made by uh, the government. And since the Israeli government makes decisions that you know have to do with the Palestinians under occupation, so joining the coalition means that you support, you are a minority within the government, and actually you take responsibility for decisions made by the government vis-a-vis -vis your brothers in the, uh, in the occupied territories. That's blocked the nationalists and the communists from joining the coalition. And if they had any deals, they were, they were, these deals were made from outside the coalition. Now, it was the first time in the history of the Palestinian community in Israel that uh, an Arab Muslim party joins the coalition, subsiding this condition and arguing that if we want to exploit our participation in the Israeli parliament, we have to join the coalition in order to be able part of the decision-making processes and change the policies of the government. Now, un un unfortunately, we don't have enough time to judge this statement. This government lasted only, with, you know, this Bennett-Lapid uh, government with the Islamic party within it, as part of the coalition, lasted only you know one year uh, and, and even less than a half, one year and four months, and therefore it's not enough time to see if or to judge if the strategy of the Islamic movement was successful or not. Meaning that did it have enough impact on decision making? Did it manage to actually allocate more resources to the Arab community? Did it manage to change basic policies towards the Arab community? The hints we have from the experience is yes and no. Meaning, yes, in the sense that there were hints, actually, that certain policies could change. On the other hand, no, because whereas some changes in the allocation of resources could have happened, the basic policies of discrimination, the occupation policies, were not, you know, on the agenda at all. This government were able to establish its authority for a, a year and four months only by subsiding the Palestinian question. The government from the beginning decided not to tackle, you know, uh, disputed issues inside the, uh, inside the Israeli parliament. And therefore, subsiding the Palestinian issue left actually the the, the major issue for the Palestinians in, in, inside Israel that blocks them from joining the coalition. So the Islamic movement couldn't have actually influenced policies towards the Palestinians. And when you look at the history of how this uh, government lost its majority within the parliament, you see that it lost its majority based on the Palestinian issue. That, you know, uh, that actually the Israeli unique law that differentiates between Jews and Palestinians inside the legal system in the occupied territories was supposed to be renewed by a majority within the parliament. And the Islamic movement found itself in a position that it should 
if it, if it wants if, if it wanted to keep its position within the coalition it had to support you know extending the unique law uh, uh, of uh, of occupation from their point of view they were lucky that the majority was lost before they supported this change and uh, those who actually uh, um, decomposed the coalition were uh, politicians from the you know the, the most nationalist party within the coalition who did not agree and did not feel comfortable uh, joining uh, an Islamic movement within the coalition so actually uh, and the results of the elections that came afterwards show clearly that the majority of the Jewish community does not want an Arab party within the coalition Professor Amal Jamal, first of all, thank you for your time. I think you did a very good job of introducing the Palestinian community to people who don't know much about the Palestinian community. But it brings a lot of questions that we will cover in future episodes. For all the listeners who stayed till this end, thank you for your time. And if you want to help us to grow, don't forget to follow us on different podcast apps and you think this podcast could be useful to your friends and family don't forget 